0: today on compassion radio
1: yeah there are chaplains within the ukrainian armed forces now but these are people who go i'm talking Kherson and much further east where things are falling out of the sky that can hurt you and people are shooting at you regularly and they're going to love on they're yeah. bringing food they're singing they're letting them tell stories they are creating spaces for mental health yes. in the midst of an unbelievably traumatic situation
0: Hello friends and welcome back to the Frontline Journal of Faith in Action. We're Compassion Radio, and when we say frontlines, we're often talking about the kind you're most familiar with, especially in times like these. We go when we can, and we track those who go when we can't be there ourselves. I'm always grateful for the kind of first-hand reports of people who have a solid grip on practical theology, the kind of understanding of God's ways gained from working it out in real time in really challenging situations. Today's guest is just that sort of person. As we move into the season of Advent, we'll keep you updated on how God is showing up where He's needed most, today and in the days to come. We're calling this series The Shaker and the Switch, and you'll find out why later in the broadcast. Remember that this series and all of our broadcasts are available online at CompassionRadio.com and can be shared with your friends and family. So I encourage you to drop by to learn more. Thanks for how you keep in touch with us and support the work that we do. And now... To the interview. Back at Compassion Radio today is Fred Human of Music Works International and Serve Ukraine. He's given us the inside tour over a number of years here of what's happening with the evangelical outreach across that nation, how it has established itself as a key motivator of change and progress in the nation, even before the danger of invasion began with Russia. And he's got a lot to get us updated on. Fred, welcome back to Compassion Radio.
1: Always great to be back, and you're right, it has been too long, and there's so much to cover. I hope I can be terse. Well, we'll do what we can in two or three programs worth here. Now, back in 2017, you
0: invited us to come over and see it for ourselves, and we made the effort in that year to travel with you, walk the streets, get to meet your friends. And today with our our friends at the Ukrainian Evangelical Theological Seminary there, which was the uh, new home of a lot of Norm Nelson's legacy library. He had quite a theological library of his own here in the States. He donated most of it to the international community, and you helped curate what is now being used as an English wing of the library. So those who are studying theology across many different realms of study and different theological perspectives was broadened greatly by Norm's additions to that library, and we're glad to have provided that.
1: The fact is that UETS has been designated kind of a core or a major library there, so it's become a research place for lots of different libraries in the country. So Norm's collection definitely gave a huge contribution to that. They're very excited. And a lot of our listeners here in the States contributed to the relocation of that
0: library and committed themselves to make it happen. And we're grateful for their involvement with us. And there's plenty of opportunities now looking forward, even in the midst of a war right now, to continue to be pouring into the church there because they're not just doing churchy things. They're doing restoration work. They're doing rescue work. They're on the front lines of faith in every way you can imagine. So jump off from that thought there, Brad, and just let us know where we are in the situation with the church in Ukraine.
1: Well, for us, it's been, uh, let's not talk about my year first, but what I'm seeing happen is that they're rising up and trying to make sure that people understand what's going on. Just two weeks ago, members of the All Religious Council of Ukraine were in D.C., and one of them is my friend Ivan Rusin, who's the rector of UETS. But there were 15 or 20 of them. They are an NGO. They were originally more associated with the government. They still meet with the heads of state and people in his office once a month to give them an idea of what's going on in the religious life of the nation and how they see what's happening in other ways. And the delegation of them were in D.C. They did, among other things, meetings with senators and others. They uh, did an interview with the Atlantic Council and the four members of the National Religious Council an Orthodox archbishop who is a main spokesman for them, the head imam of the Muslim community, primarily in uh, Crimea, the head rabbi for Ukraine, and Ivan. Yeah, I think pretty much everything else main line to evangelicalism. Well, yeah, he is really a bishop in the Ukrainian Evangelical Church. That's the name of the, the union or the denomination. It was on C-SPAN, it was everywhere, and they were saying, we cannot believe how many people are believing Russian propaganda. Yeah that this is just an internecine quarrel, that the president is trying to get rid of religious freedom. No, they clearly stated that the problem is with the Russian Orthodox Church, let's call it that, the Moscow Patriarchate, and that they have been infiltrating the country for years. In that church, they found contraband materials and Russian propaganda. The actual church buildings there in Ukraine. Well, yeah, in church buildings as well as in the church. Yeah. They're trying to deal with that. In fact, there's a proposal now to outlaw them, that branch of orthodoxy in the nation because they found so many problems. The head rabbi said, I know that they recruit these people because after the country was liberated, they tried to recruit me to report to them and to spy for them. So that's a major concern of theirs. And they again is the Russian
0: military. Well, yeah, the Russian state. I want you to explain to our listeners, which are gonna be primarily from an evangelical American perspective. They're getting their news from probably more conservative news sources here in the States. Sure. Why is it important that we hear in America from a union of religious leaders that are not part of the state directly? and not just listen to what the president of Ukraine might say or what the president of Russia might say. Why is it important that Christians here take into account what rabbis or imams have to say in Ukraine?
1: Well, that's an excellent question. The unique thing is, at that particular event, those were the four. But there was the head of the Pentecostal Church, the Lutheran Church of Ukraine, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. In this particular meeting, they set it up to be as extreme as possible. Mm-hmm. The B of that is, these men... Are united for their country. I think it was said very well that we are not about saving our land. We're about preserving our values Uh. They all have shared values because in some ways the old saw from the American Revolution is the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah, (laughs) they agree on one thing, the values of religious freedom that Ukraine has stood for. They must preserve. And they're united on that. We know that there are plenty of
0: strong, faithful people in Russia that are going about the work that God's got them doing throughout the country. But I have a sense from having been that close to it and meeting your friends that there really isn't a sense of freedom of conscience right now in this current iteration of the Russian Empire. Can you explain how Christians in Russia feel or are treated or are led in such a way that leads them to be more aligned with the state
1: political and military apparatus? Well, I can't speak for all my brothers and sisters in Russia, but I do know this, that most people in the Russian Federation get their news from television. Mm-hmm. Guess who controls television? And the three or four channels actually have news. It'll be straight from the state. Yeah, if you call it news, it's straight propaganda. And so they're believing what they hear on TV. You know, everything I need to know, I learn on television. And so they're repeating that. Even some churches have moved into that. I was intrigued to see yesterday that a person that I know who's been doing worship training in Russia for a long time had a conference. This is an American missionary who's there who's been serving faithfully there for a number of years. And they had 125 people together for that purpose. There have been situations in the past, and I think we've shared this story before, where friends in Ukraine talk to their Christian relatives in Russia who think the war was justified. And who think that it will just be over, it will be a quick thing, and everything will be okay, and blah, 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 because they're believing the government. So there are Christian, there are evangelicals and others in Russia who are believing the government as well. I think I've said before here that most of the leaders of evangelical churches within the Russian Federation are actually Ukrainian. And so they have strong links there, but they're listening to the state. Okay. And there's been such struggle and stress and, and strain in those relationships as a result. To listen to Ukrainian religious leaders, you're seeing people who are united, who can speak directly to the situation, who have a stake in what's going on, but they are not the government. They're on the front lines, many of them delivering uh, humanitarian aid or supporting those things and trying to keep their churches together. That's why we need to listen to them, and that's why we need to realize that, especially within the Russian Orthodox Church, the head of the Russian Orthodox Church was actually used as a spy Hmm. before. Yeah, I've read that again. There's definite information to back that up. Long before this current situation. Oh gosh, yes. Yeah, that's his background. And so it's very weird. There's a strong relationship, unfortunately, between Kirill and Putin. Kirill is the Metropolitan. So let's talk about the why bothers.
0: There's plenty of Christians in the U.S. who have been fed plenty of questions of their own to ask, what's in it for me? Literally, that seems to be the kind of spirit of it. Why is America interested or should be interested in what's going on in Ukraine right now? I mean, it's still being asked, and it's not being answered frequently enough, I think. Mm -hmm. What does it matter to us in the West down to the brass tacks here? Well, it, it does matter. What's the national interest of America in the current conflict there?
1: The national interest, and I was glad to hear these religious leaders say the same thing, is that if Putin is not stopped, he will continue. And we're looking at values, especially in Ukraine, of religious freedom, of freedom of expression, uh, freedom of travel. Uh, So much of the Ukrainian church, evangelical and otherwise, is working in the former Soviet Union in many different ways, especially in the Central Asian republics. And they want to continue that. The Crimean Tatars are the native people of Crimea, that peninsula that you hear about so much. People don't know what that means. That's in the Black Sea, that the southern part of Ukraine, that was the first thing that Russia took over in 2014. Most of the Tatars, that's their homeland. And they've been kicked out for the second time they already know what it means the people in estonia and latvia and lithuania the baltics even poland again just recently last couple of days Medvedev, who is the president in between putin so putin could continue being in control has become more obnoxious and more outrageous than putin but he's threatening poland again yeah. so all these countries that we are allies with politically and we have strong links to in europe and basically the cradle of democracy is at stake from a value perspective you know it's hard to talk about this with not sounding political but frankly it's what ivan told me he said it's our values not our land it's our values and that's what's being done the the religious leaders said again putin said well we're coming to save these russian speakers guess who the people are he's killing in eastern ukraine russian speakers it is unbelievable so the threat is to europe the threat is to our way of life the threat is to our allies The threat is to the continuing world order, which frankly is happening in a number of different ways. Compassion Radio
0: will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Please take a moment today to consider how you might help us to accomplish our unique media ministry and mission. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com or call our toll-free order line 1-800-868-2478. Our mailing address is PO Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. And now
1: back to the broadcast. The threat is to the continuing world order, which frankly is happening in a number of different ways.
0: There are plenty of people, Fred, that believe that we need to upset the apple cart here. We need to reset even on Western civilization, that there's something that we need to, quote, recapture from before the current liberal regime of multinationalism that needs to be reinstated or it needs to be reinforced or rebuilt based on a notion of a Judeo-Christian state, which was America from the very beginning there it seems to be that kind of philosophy that we're building. They can't use the word theocracy because that has negative connotations, but that's what they're aiming for. They want to see Christian national identity become the core value upon which everything else is built. It is not, for me, just a political question. It has very much to do with the, the soul of the church. Yeah. What would you say to those who are thinking that, They expect freedom and values to be restored by making a certain brand of Christianity ascendant, not just in religious
1: life, but in political life. You're just throwing me in the middle of it, aren't you? (laughs) Well, you've got opinions on these things that are based actually on fact. I do. I'm not sure that America was ever a Christian nation. There were Christian principles there, and I think we've misread early history. The other thing is, in church history, every time the church has become intertwined with the state or identified with the state, i.e. Constantine, it was not a good thing. I don't think our brothers and sisters who are in the catacombs would understand at all the kind of thing that people are trying now to enforce. The church, like it or not, has been at its strongest when it's been forced underground. Not that I'm recommending we get forced underground, but all of a sudden we think we are about political salvation, and we forget that we're supposed to be serving. We forget who we're supposed to be standing up for. We forget that we answer to another kingdom. We're responsible to a higher power. While we're still here, not just after we establish whatever we want to establish. Yeah, and so I think legislating morality is a touchy thing. Mm -hmm. There are certain principles that we get away with. The difficulty is, why do we see people who don't believe the way we do and are surprised at the way they're behaving?
0: Well, if we just force them to believe the way we do and act the way we do and
1: behave the same laws we create. That's never been God's way. It's not been Jesus' way. I mean, Jesus certainly spoke out against the powers that be, but he didn't say, make me king of Israel. He was the king of Israel, but he didn't say, make me a political king. We've got to be really careful. Still, I use the biblical phrase, we've sold our birthright for a mess of pottage. Yeah. We think we're going to go for that when the higher goal, the higher standard is a citizens of the kingdom. And I think that will make a difference. Why are we about being strident? There's a time to speak truth to power, but the people around you need to know that you're concerned about them and you have a relationship rather than just shouting in their face. Is there
0: ever a time, Fred, when the church should speak the truth as power?
1: Within their realm. Okay. That's a good question. Within their sphere of influence. um, Obviously, they're responsible for their people. I mean, certainly there's a lot of sermons that ought to be said about the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the power. We have to speak within our realm, but also then choose where we speak. I've had people
0: confused when I've said things like, if we really want to be living in a kingdom under a king, we better listen to the king's words and actually focus on the uh, red letters to start with and build from there. It seems like we don't quite understand that the rest of the New Testament is to amplify and to solidify the principle that Jesus had already uttered out They all knew what the sayings of Jesus were, and they were trying to work them out, figure out how does this really work in a new kingdom. But it wasn't because Jesus had thought, oh, wait, I I forgot to tell you, and then goes on to something else before he's really done with telling us these things. He's already gone back to heaven saying, it's in your hands now, figure it out. In fact, I'm sending you a Holy Spirit to sort this stuff out day by day. We get afraid of actually leaning into that. We fall back on the rules-based systems. We go back to the Old Testament and say, oh, it's just one of a continuum from the beginning of God giving us a law. It's just more law, but it's more refined. It's more gentle at times. It's more nice. We still want a rules-based system. It seems like a church is kind of gravitating back towards that kind of ethic now, more than finding out, what does grace really mean? How is it really going to set us free? And how does it set free other people that may be enemies to God now, but don't realize how much he really loves them? Instead, we build up systems that reinforce violent governments and, and create wars. And we seem to be living right in the middle of that chapter right now.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a struggle. I think we have forgotten what it means to be light and salt. Hmm. We want to own the shaker. And we want to have the light board, the control. I've never said that before, but that's, you know what I'm saying? We want to have the switch and have the shaker. And it's like, wait a minute, that doesn't necessarily mean we're in control. There are other ways to show power, other ways to demonstrate that, that are radically different than what we see in the world. I'm reminded, as you were talking, I mentioned, Constantine, when the church kind of got legal status in the Roman Empire, you know what happened to the church? The church had to strengthen and intensify the requirements for baptism because everybody wanted to be a Christian. Yep. In a way, being a Christian in the Roman Empire at that stage was like being a communist in the Soviet times. So it's like you could not get a job if you weren't a Christian. Well, I'm a Christian. Can I get a job?
0: Or being a Rotarian in the 1950s United States or something. It was one of those club identification
1: pins that said, hey, I'm a responsible citizen. The thing is, it's trouble. It's trouble. We need to be light and salt. There's lots of people I know who would argue with me on this, but that's fine. I'm all for argument and discussion. We are opening up an unbelievable Pandora's box of stuff if we have to own the switch and the shaker. That'll preach. I'll use that later. We've got to be light and be salt, and we've got to speak that way. But the church has never done well when it's been totally in control. I am worried when the
0: church is ready to throw the shaker and pull the uh, cotter pin first. Yeah, fair enough. The salt is meant to save lives and to heal and to preserve. It's not meant to be a weapon. So let's make the pivot now. How is the church in Ukraine finding a way to be the kingdom right now? And what are the challenges they're
1: facing? What are they doing to build peace in the middle of all this? I can speak for the people that I know. I've seen them being light and salt, delivering humanitarian aid in their neighborhood. I see them being neighbors, being friends. I think of a church in Kiev that just opened up a dental clinic. Hmm. I think the church that we've worked with in European who used the first grant we gave them to put windows in people's homes. Right.
0: And there have been plenty of windows knocked out during that first invasion.
1: Well, hello. Yeah. And you think, well, that's not much. You take that for granted. But when you live in the winter that they live in, plastic ain't going to do it.
0: It was one of my anxieties last week for it. I'm in the middle of building a house in North Idaho. And I've had every window and door installed on this house that I'm working on for the past five months. Except for one. Yeah. A specialty piece of glass had to go into a certain kind of mounting in my wall, and it was a custom piece. I had to wait since last May to get the thing installed yesterday. wait, My house can't be weatherized until it happens. I mean, I've got to have the glass in there before I actually find a way to get the house warm. So that's just one window, and I haven't even hit the really cold months yet up here in North Idaho. The winter comes pretty early in Ukraine, What do you do
1: when your entire exterior wall, which is windows and doors, is blown out? It's tough. Those kind of practical things are happening in neighborhoods, in cities. I was with friends uh, last week who just came back from spending two or three weeks visiting troops on the front, but they go with local pastors who are going there regularly. Yes. Yeah, there are chaplains within the Ukrainian armed forces now. But these are people who go, I'm talking her son, and much further east, where things are falling out of the sky that can hurt you on a regular basis. And people are shooting at you regularly, and they're going to minister, to love on minister. They're not going in to bless you, my brother. They're yeah. bringing food. They're singing. They're letting them tell stories. They are creating spaces for mental health yes. in the midst of an unbelievably traumatic situation. Those are stories that I know. I'm thinking of a guy who is basically a music missionary Hmm. in Ukraine, and he is to the front on a regular basis. I hope to see him. He's going, taking stuff in, bringing people out. Every now and then he'll record a song that's unbelievable in the passion and the struggle that they're going through, and that will encourage them as well. But he's putting his money where his mouth is, and he's delivering stuff on a regular basis while his family's back in Kyiv. So that's light and salt. That's being present in the city. That's helping with what you can. It's bringing food. It's bringing shelter. It's bringing clothing to uh, the babushka who are their older single women whose pensions are meager at best and possibly non existent at this point. And they are giving them blankets. They are offering them warm meals. They are doing it. You know, used to say all politics is local, all church has to be local.
0: And that local church has to travel if necessary.
1: Yeah, so it's wherever you are.
0: There are pastor friends you and I have that are on the front lines every week because they're doing the essential ministry of dragging people out of trenches who are injured. Yep. We supply these particular pastors. You and I spend time communicating with them regularly. For them, they feel the intensity of the conflict and the anger that goes with it, but they also are committed to a kingdom ethic. Whoever God puts in front of them that's injured, they're going to take care of. Like the first do no harm Hippocratic oath, no matter who's on your table, no matter who's in front of you, you serve them as Jesus would serve them. Sure. And so they have dragged out Russian soldiers and saved their lives. It's not easy from a human perspective to say, I will give you the same kind of compassion, the same kind of kindness and respect and dignity that your government seems to be denying our citizens, but because I am a citizen of a kingdom that is eternal and has a king supreme who loves you, I am commanded to
1: serve you. And that, in thinking of this dear friend you're talking about, he's been at it for a very long time, and he is committed to it, and so is his family. And it's pretty intense. Yeah. You know, it's a very difficult situation. He finds himself in on a moment-by-moment basis, but he's living out that ethos. And I get very concerned that the church in America, here we go, political statement coming, thinks that America is the center of the universe. I mean, that's been true for years. As somebody who's traveled internationally, as you and I have, you know, I'm most embarrassed by Americans overseas. Scary people. The ones that actually make it out there. (laughs) Well, yeah, the ones who actually
0: go. The ones that never left are even worse. I don't mean to say that we are the worst of the worst here. What I mean to say specifically is that ignorance births pretty bad ideology. If we don't expose ourselves to actual facts and people and places and things to get perspective, it's very hard to be adjusting our judgment of something. If we assume we know... And we don't really know. We end up with bad conclusions. The same thing's true of the word of God. I mean, like the church itself says, hear me when I say this, but check it out for yourself. The Bible's there for you too, friends. Read. The good pastors say this. Yep. They say, dig into it. And if I've messed up something or got it wrong here, tell me because we're a team. I'm not just the authority
1: figure here. Those kind of pastors I can respect because they're passionate. Yeah, they're not God. They realize that you're dealing with people who have to hear from the Holy Spirit. They do have a realm of authority, but they are not infallible. And so the, the matter is, check it out, check it out. It's a challenge when the American church believes that it's all about America.
0: I'm very glad we've got Fred Human back to update us on both the geopolitical situation in Eastern Europe but more importantly, how the Kingdom of God is responding to such unprecedented challenges. Even if the current news cycles don't carry as many updates on their struggle for freedom, faith, and conscience, don't forget to pray for the millions of faithful followers of Christ caught in the crosshairs. The believers in Ukraine are literally laying down their lives for their neighbors, their country, and the Kingdom of God. And consider a gift to Compassion Radio. Our brothers and sisters in faith in Ukraine are one of our ministry partners, and we'll send them as much as possible this year to help with their efforts to minister to war orphans and widows. Thank you so much for making those gifts possible. Give online today at CompassionRadio.com or call us at 1-800-868-2478. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California. 92877.